0: Hey, it's going to be with you. Missed uh, being with you last week, and super grateful for the privilege that we have. Get a couple of weeks of speaking outside and some vacation, and I got uh, uh, appreciate very much uh, Bob Caseman's message. I got just a chance to listen to it uh, Sunday afternoon, and and uh, Pastor Lounsborough's message, and and uh, the the teaching and the truth that they gave you, and uh, Pastor Birch on Wednesday night, and Pastor uh, discerns Pastor Lounsborough's help, and all the others that helped to allow me to go and do some ministry. I got to preach uh, 40, this will be message number 48 in the month of uh, July, so it was sort of like a marathon preaching thing, and, and it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but my favorite place in the whole world uh, to preach is this place right here, and my favorite people to preach to in the whole world are you people. And uh, you're the ones I have on my heart. You're the ones that I feel a sense of responsibility for. Um, and the ones that I most want to see flourish in the Lord. And I'm so grateful to be able to be here. And so grateful for my partners in ministry that have made it really so easy uh, for me to be able to get away during that time. And just have such a great time. Uh, and, uh, and a time of ministry to, to really hundreds of people. Um, what's the first thing that you remembered they taught you in Sunday school? Was it not... Jesus uh, offers his love for you by dying for sinners. Wasn't wasn't the first thing they taught you in Sunday school, the love of God expressed through Jesus' death on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wasn't that the first thing they taught you? That was good. That was good. Romans 5.8, you know it says this, God demonstrates his love toward us. That way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I've been preaching the message of Christ uh, everywhere I go, telling the story of Jesus everywhere I go, leaving people with the name of Jesus ringing in their ears everywhere I go. And one of the things I've been saying to people this summer is this, Christianity is the best story you ever read anywhere, that if it wasn't true, you would want it to be true. Even the false religions of the world, none of them, their story is anywhere good as our story. The story of Christ is a story of the free offer of salvation. It's not a a do-good theme. It is the free offer of salvation through Christ, His righteousness on the cross, on our behalf— And the opportunity is, even like Bob was mentioning last week, that no matter how evil things are and how dark things are in our world, that there will be an eternal compensation for those who are in Jesus Christ the King when he returns. Why? if If I didn't believe that were true, I would want that to be true. And we start by telling children in Sunday school, God offers his love to you. He is, in his very essence, in his character, He's love. And he offers his love to you. And his grand proof that he's love is that he gave his own son, Jesus Christ, die on the cross for sinners. For sinners. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 and 19 say, In this, the love of God is manifested toward us, That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave, he sent his son to absorb the wrath for our sins, to be the propitiation for our sins. And we love him, what's the rest of this? We love him because he first loved us. That is the heart of knowing God by heart. It is in essence that we love God, but we won't love God until we're convinced that God loves us in spite of ourselves. And so it is no light truth and no unimportant thing to spend time thinking about this, that God loves you. Philip Paul Bliss wrote a hymn, and you've all sung it. It's a beautiful hymn called Oh How I Love Jesus. And it's a beautiful hymn to sing, isn't it? He wrote it when he was a young man, Oh How I Love Jesus. And then after years of w- walking with the Lord, he wrote a hymn, very late in life, it's often used as a children's song. And, and, it, and it goes like this: "I'm so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book He has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. But this is the dearest: that Jesus loves me." When he was young, he wrote to him about how much he loved God. But when he'd walked with God for a long time, he wrote to him about how much God loves him. You know, it is wonderful that God loves us, but it's not enough. And we'll talk about that yet today. Who are are the Gaithers? You've heard of Bill and Gloria Gaither, and their songs have blessed all of us. Bill and Gloria Gaither have sung their way into the hearts of millions of people all over the world, including my heart. They're just simple farm people from central Indiana, and they've written maybe dozens and dozens, maybe scores of songs that will endure, maybe dozens that will endure for generations. So these are people who know good song lyrics when they hear them. And when Bill Gaither was once asked who was his favorite, what is his favorite song lyric, he actually named a song that was written by someone else. He named a song that was found anonymously scrolled on the walls of an asylum. And here are the lyrics that he says are the best lyrics of any Christian song he's ever heard. You will notice that the love of God is the theme of these lyrics. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole stretch from sky to sky. It is the love of God which has inspired the most beautiful poetry, the most beautiful songs, the most enduring writing in all, of, uh, in all of the world. And this is the topic today. And today I mean for you to engage your heart and share with you three passages that should be well-worn spots in your Bible. And the message is called, Will You Let Him Love You? Will You Let Him Love You? And these are the passages, they're all displayed. Let's turn to the first one, Psalm 103. And my my goal today would be simply this, that you would leave here with uh, the means to meditate on God's love for you because of the powerful good that it would do you. To know that God loves you and to remind yourself of God's love when you're faced with heartache or when you're faced with temptation or when you're faced with illness or when you're disappointed or when you just don't make enough money and you wonder how you're gonna take care of of your family. To know that God loves you is a great saving truth, and to know God by heart. And so we just are going to look into these three passages briefly, and then go to the communion table. First, if you want a point, here it is. Consider the symmetry, the beauty of God's love. Consider the symmetry, the beauty of God's love, like poetry, like scenery, like seasons, like music. Psalm 103 is a beautiful psalm. Bless the Lord. By the way, in the psalm, He's practicing something that we all ought to do, and it's kind of the heart of the message here. We're going to give you these passages, and and, and the way you use the passages to meditate on the love of God is you speak them to yourself. You think them to yourself. You preach them to yourself. You do this throughout the week when you see the moon rise or when you see the sun set or when you watch the rising and falling of your little boy's chest as he sleeps in the night or you look over at your faithful wife who's been good to you for all the years and put up with all your foolishness and your nonsense, and you go, there must be a God. And he must be good. Amen? Thank you, Rich. I'm glad you're here today. That's somebody awake. I miss you when I preach other places. I think I need Rich here right now. Giving me trash about Michigan. So here it is. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all, that, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives our iniquities. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Here the plot thickens. Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us. He will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to our grandchildren, to children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and those who remember his commandments to do them this beautiful psalm. It shows the beauty, the symmetry, the poetry, that God isn't just coldly telling us that he's devoted to us, but he's warmly trying to capture our heart's affection. He wants you to know you love him. And it's interesting because I do a lot of my personal study and my personal devotional reading in the ESV version. So I'm out last night. Were you out last night? Wow. How could you not worship last night? And why would you want to live anywhere but Michigan last night? So I'm on the porch, and it's the golden hour, and the sun is setting, and I've been gone for a long time, so I'm just like home, and I'm alone. i got the dog there, just me and the dog. You know, He's behaving for a change. And I'm sitting on the porch, and I'm reading my ESV Bible. This Psalm 103 on the ESV translates the word mercy here, the steadfast love. There's three places where it occurs. It's in verse 8. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to enter, and a Anger and abounding in steadfast love. How sweet is that? It's in verse 11. As the heavens are high above the earth, so high is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And in verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. So if I need steadfast love, I read the ESV. And if I need mercy, I read the New King James. There's a good sound way of treating the Bible right there. they're both taught thoroughly throughout the scripture and so these last few weeks I go up north to speak and one of the things I I want to do is between talks I talk to people so I'm just talking all day twice a day and then all day and you open up a can of worms when you speak to kids and they come to you and they just line up and they tell you just the most amazing stories about their life but so I get up real early in the morning, and I take a walk, and I pray, God, let me hear the loons this morning. And, and Monday morning, on Tuesday morning, I'm up, and I hear the loons calling on the lake. I'm like, thank you, Lord. That was awesome. I go downstate a little bit over by Grand Rapids. I am speaking at Lincoln Lake last week, and, and they have a lake, obviously Lincoln Lake. And the guy was reading my stuff, and he goes, we have more than one loon on our lake, and they call all day long. And you won't have to go to hike, hike to hear them because the camp's right on the lake. I started Lincoln Lake when I was... Uh, 48 years ago, I went to Lincoln Lake as a camper. And 48 years later, I got invited back to speak. How cool is that? And the loons were on the lake. And so one of the workers, Joel, says, yeah, you can hear the loons on the lake all day. You don't even have to go out there. You can just open a window. You can hear them. And, they, and, I, and you could. And he goes, and I'll tell you another story. We have bald eagles on our lake, too. I'm like, you're kidding. He goes, yeah, look up right now. Look up. There's a bald eagle right over my head. I'm like, I love my life. Ba- and he goes, and sometimes the eagles eat the loons. I'm like, Are you kidding? So, yeah, he said. This spring there was an eagle dove and just grabbed the loon, little baby chick, and took off. There was another lion up here, but uh, Cecil, I think his name was, and somebody shot him and just killed him. And but we won't talk about that because I know you're a sensitive group, and half of the church is carrying right now, so I'm not worried. So anyway, <laughs> but that's a secret. So. I should probably take a week off when I come back from camp because you're just a little too loose. Isn't it? <laughs> Consider the symmetry of God's love, though. And you may not be here in the loons on the lake. You might be sitting there and the dove lights on the birdbath. Or the, your favorite flower is blossoming right there in your yard. or Just the color of the grass or the memory of a loved one. And they're all evidence of God's favor. He, isn't he good to you? Is he not love? Is he not love? That's what he is. My grandson's got to spend a little time with them, and I was looking for things to do. I'm not allowed to give them high fructose corn syrup because then they'll be like me, and we don't want that. Want them to be calm, so I brought. I, I'm thinking, what do I do? You know, you, you know, most of what you bribe kids with is got high fructose corn syrup in it, which will make you grow a third eye and extra thumbs. You don't want that, you know. So I'm like, I go through the store and I find coloring books and crayons, and and I, okay. Why? And I bring them to them, and they're like, you're the greatest grandpa ever. I'm like, yeah, my other grandpa, their other grandpa has a cottage at the lake. How do you compete with that? They got a cottage at the lake, and I'm bringing coloring books, you know, it's just like, it's kind of lame, but I'm like, I give them to them, and I, but why? Because I want them to love me, and I want them to know I love them, because I'm a grandfather. Dads are like that. Can I remind you, you aren't, you're not a better father than your heavenly father, and he's always wanting to catch your attention with the sunrise or a sunset or a beautiful strain of music or that deer that you always wanted to shoot, you know, want to get your heart. Yeah. Consider the symmetry and the beauty of God's love. And forgive me if you love animals. I (laughs) slipped. Second, consider the supplements and side benefits of God's love. The side, the extras, supplements the side benefits you see these in in romans 8 and the reason i call them that is is because there's this passage in romans 8 that says if if he spared not his own son how shall he not also with him freely give us supplements side benefits additional things all things other stuff extra things because that's the way it is when you love your wife you don't just fulfill the basic minimum requirements that's dumb like, if you're gone for a long time, she's come back the next day. You wash and you dry all your laundry before she gets home. And you don't tell a soul you did it. You just do it. You don't want people to brag on you. You don't tell like 400 people you did it. You just do it quietly. That's what you do. Romans eight thirty one. how beautiful is this? I, I remind you of Romans 8 as if I needed to. When you're, when you're wondering about people who don't love you, or you're feeling unloved, or you're wondering, if God, go back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 and read, What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is Romans 8. You're familiar with it. A young man I know wanted a canoe really badly. He, he get, kept plotting and thinking about this canoe. This happened this week. And, and so this week he decided, you know, I, I don't have a lot of extra money, but I think I have enough I can buy. And he worked a deal to get a really nice canoe for only $100. It was a very good deal. A nice canoe for $100. And he, he prayed and he thought about it. He thought it was a prudent buy. Sent me a picture of it last night. He goes, you like my canoe? I'm like, I love it. He said, God gave it to me. After I bought it, later that day, a customer tipped me exactly $100. And then I said, and you took that as a token of God's love, I hope. He said, I immediately took that as a token of God's love. That's the way we operate when we realize this one who gave us his own son freely gives us all things. He's all throughout the world. he's, He's lacing the world with beautiful things. Here are five powerful questions That can silence the darkest questions in your soul that come out of Romans 8. Who can oppose us if God is on our side? Verse 31. What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? So you have an enemy. Oh, really? Somebody more powerful than God? Somebody talking about you? Wah, wah, wah. God is on your side. (laughs) Second, what, what will God withhold from us if he will give us his own son? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. But deliver him up. What would God withhold if he would give his own son? Question number three, who can charge us since we're cherished and chosen by God? Look at verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? You say Ken's guilty. No, Ken is not guilty. Ken is righteous. He's not guilty. He's forgiven. He's righteous. Who says? God, you can be free of guilt. Who can charge us? Who can condemn us since Christ died, rose, and prays for us? Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, furthermore is risen, is even at the right hand of God, and he's praying for us right now, making intercession. Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, died for you, rose for you, went to heaven, and he sits and prays for you. I think you're in good shape. This is something to remind yourself about. Who can condemn us? Number five, who or what can separate us from the love of Christ? And here's a list. Tribulation and distress, pressure and problems can't. Persecution, hurt, mistreatment, oppression, persecution can't. Hunger, nakedness, poverty can't. You say poverty is hard to deal with. Yes, Jesus knows that. He was poor too. Hunger, nakedness, poverty, danger, sword cannot separate you from the love of Christ. These are all out of the text. Angels, demons, and demonic powers cannot separate you from the love of Christ. The present, the future, will not separate you. For people that are old or young, height or depth, distance can't separate you from the love of Christ. People who feel far from God, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Nor any other created thing. I just taught you right through Romans chapter 8. So you think about that. Do you want to know God by heart? then you need to love him. You want to love him? You need to be convinced that he loves you. You want to be convinced that he loves you? You need to get passages like this in your soul. You need to, be, you need to get your roots down in passages like this. Get your roots in them. Because it's going to come, you're going to lose your job, or you're going to have trouble with a child, or you're going to have an illness or a, or a terrible setback, and you're going to have to have your roots down. Right? Here, here's what I heard about growing grapes in, in France. Because I think they make really good grape juice in France is what I heard, you know. Here's what I heard. I heard that everyone, you're looking at me funny. I uh, Don't drink. You should know that. It's, it's, I have other excuses but, uh, for this behavior. But um, in France, they say when a drought comes, the people that grow these vines, they don't water the vines during the drought. And you know why that is? Because the way they look at it, it's nature's way, God's way of getting those roots to go really deep during the dry season. And then when the, the water comes, then the vines are very efficient. So you may have a drought come along in your life. You may have a season of poverty or heartache, and let your roots go down in these passages and and draw up nourishment from God. You, You may be facing something very hard right now. Then you know you need the Lord. Let your roots go down in him and be convinced of his love, that he loves you. So you're a young girl. And you're you're thinking, I look around and I just don't see a man that is really attractive to me who is also very godly. There's men that are attractive, there's men that are godly, but God didn't put them in the same body. So do I have to marry an ungodly attractive guy or an ugly godly guy? (laughs) The answer is, God is love. He's not just here to torture you. Okay? So he wants you to trust him. And someday some guy will be so outstanding that even though he's ugly, you'll think he's handsome. That's what happened to me. And uh, she's so outstanding. So uh, anyway, remember this. Consider consider the supplements, the side benefits of God's love. And trust them with everything. You say, well, I I have poverty. I I wish I had more money. I don't make enough money. I'm just like, I'm kind of like the underemployed. And yet when when you look back in, in those brief years when you went through that, most of the people that are sitting here that have been through something like that, many of them, would say, but in another way, those were some of the sweetest years of my life. I, I didn't have a lot of money, and things were hard, and we always had to kind of wonder how we're going to make it. But, but if you ask those people, in many cases, not always, would, would you want to relive those years? They would say, in a heartbeat, I would like 10 grand more a year. But yes, in a heartbeat, I would want to relive those years because... There was something more than just having a lot. And when we're all around the table and we're just hoping that nobody takes two helpings of goulash and that all the kids will be okay. I was sitting in a restaurant years and years ago and I and, uh, was worried about making sure all the kids had enough food. And, and, uh, and I, it was on my mind and I was watching, I was hoping that you know the boys were getting bigger and I was thinking, I hope they got enough food. And, and we wanted to go out to eat, so I asked them to order off the dollar menu, you know, a number of years ago before I was here. And... Um, And an elderly couple must have been watching us. And this elderly lady came over afterward, and she says to me, you know what we used to do? Almost like she was reading my mind. We used to take them out to eat, and then we would go home, and we would make popcorn. We'd just have a wonderful time. We'd have popcorn and water to make sure that they went to bed with their tummies full. You can trust God because He's a loving Father. And you're probably going to sin less if you remind yourself that He's a loving Father. No, that woman at work that's flattering you will not be good for you. You have a wife, she's the mother of your children. She's devoted, she's not perfect, but she's your wife. You made a vow to God, you don't let your heart stray to some other woman. She's not yours. She wouldn't be good for you. There's a loving God. He already gave you a good gift. She's called your wife. Go home. George Matheson, you've heard about George Matheson, perhaps. He was a Scottish pastor, and he had an eye disease. Eventually, he learned he would go blind. Maybe you've heard this before. Of course, obviously, when he heard this, his heart was broken. They wouldn't be able to see. But a harder blow was about to land when the girl that he was engaged who said, I will not be strapped to a blind man, and, I'm, and she broke off the engagement and has crushed him. And so now he goes on. He's a pastor, but he's blind, but he has a sister who lives with him and who cares for him and, and, and believes in him, but then when he's 40 years old, his sister falls in love, and he doesn't get in her way. He says, go, just I'll I, I go get married, and, and they were off, and he tells a story. He said he wrote a hymn in, in one night, he wrote a, and, and he's in a manse. That's Presbyterian for parsonage in Argyllshire, Scotland. On the evening of the 6th of June, it's 1882. I'm, I'm 40 years of age. I'm alone in the manse. It's the night of my sister's marriage. The rest of the family are staying overnight in Glasgow. And then something happened to me, which is known only to myself. It caused me the most severe mental suffering. And the hymn was the fruit of that suffering. It was the quickest bit of work I ever did in my life. I had the impression of having it dictated to me by some inward voice instead of writing it myself. I'm not quite sure, but that the whole work was completed in in five minutes. And, And equally sure that I never received at my hands any retouching or editing or correction. I have no natural gift of rhythm, but all of the other verses I have ever written are manufactured articles. This came almost as the day spring from on high. In other words, he had a special moving of God in his spirit when he felt like his sister was leaving and he would be lonely. And he wrote this hymn, which some of you will remember, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. And from thine ocean depths its flow may richer and fuller be. Joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that life shall endless be. And then he he concludes with this stanza, O cross that liftest up my head. I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, that from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. The pastor, the blind pastor, writes a hymn that goes echoing down through centuries, and it's born in the dark night of his soul of rejection, and he recognizes the love of God, and he hints at Calvary. I'm just here to tell you that's where you got to go, right? When you need to know the love of God, you can remind yourself of this. You remind yourself of Christ. You remind yourself of his his cross, of his death, of his love for you, and you don't forget that. And there's one other. Consider the size and the scope of God's love. I just simply refer to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, the second prayer of Paul in the Ephesian letter, where he talks about the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. He's just like, it's big, it's long, it's far, it's wide. We'll, We'll talk about that more another day. First John 4, 9 and 10 and 19 say, In this the love of God is manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave his Son to die for us, be the propitiation for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God. And we love him because he first loved us. So, so you might be a kid and you might have your whole life ahead of you. And you might be thinking, so what's going to happen? I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know who I'm going to marry. I don't know what kind of work I'm going to do. I don't know even really what I'm good at. I'm I'm nervous. I I lay my bed at night. I think about that. Can I just suggest that, that this is the most helpful thing you can think. Think that God loves you. Just think on these passages of Scripture and others that you find. God loves me. And if God, who is the untiring God of the universe, who can arrange all the circumstances of your past and future together, he can take even dark, ugly sins, and weave them into his good providence, then you can trust him to give you what you need, when you need it, to guide you, to provide for you, to lead you. My mother found the picture. I posted a picture on the internet because I was going to speak on a Friday night at a camp, and I posted a picture of the fire and I said, the kids are going to go to the fire tonight, and they're going to give testimony of what God's done. And my mom wrote me, and she says, whatever you do, remind them to walk with the Lord. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never regret a moment that you walk with the Lord. She said, when I was just a little girl from a broken home, they asked me to go to Gall Lake Bible uh, and missionary camp. And I got to go to camp, and on a Friday night, Mom said on a Friday night, they gave everybody a pine cone, and they had them stand around a fire, and they said, if you want to dedicate and consecrate your life to God, take that pine cone and throw it in the fire, and while it burns up, just say, God, I want my life to burn up for you. My mother said, I threw my pine cone in the fire almost 70 years ago, and I have never regretted it. And I'm telling you the same thing. This God's love is so vast, so large, so fine, so big. You will never tire of his love, and he will never, never tire of you. I was on the porch last night as I was preparing this, and I thought how helpful it is to to point to the scriptures, but then to give some concrete kind of illustration to help people see the main point I'm trying to make. And I was working and thinking and meditating and asking God to give me that way of making this concrete for you. And then I noticed that I had made a note in my little illustration file about a man who went to Kenya as a short-term missionary. I forget his name, whatever his name was, like Joe Brown. And he came back, and um, when he got back, he'd made such an impression, he'd done so much, and he'd given so much, and he was so loved, that there was a little orphan child that was born, and the lady that was raising him named him Joe Brown. So now he's got a picture, he shows the church. This is Joe Brown in Kenya. This is me, Joe Brown, and this is Joe Brown in Kenya. They named after me. See, like, imagine that you take a special interest in a child like that that has your name. Like, Jesus is giving you his name. You're his child. He loves you. But I saw this little little uh, illustration that reminded me of Dylan, a girl that Wes is seeing. And, and uh, she went to Kenya for a month as a, as a missionary, so I sent it to her. I sent the little note to her, and then she sent me a note back. And when she did, I, I started to cry because I thought, oh, the Lord just sent me this story that I need to tell you today that perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about in a way that you'll remember it as we go to the communion table. Dylan and her girlfriend were on a safari. It was a month-long thing, but part of it was a safari, short safari, a few days, where they would go out into the wild, not to shoot animals, but to view them in their natural habitat in the African safari. And so out she was in the... Uh, safari, and she and her friend were camping in a tent, and the tent was on a pole above the ground to keep them from being, you know, victims of, of the animals, the wildlife. And then that night, the, the storm came across, and it came really strong, and there was a huge uh, downpour of rain that they didn't expect, and a flash flood, and the, and the, and the water literally rose up. Their, their tent was on a pole, suspended five feet above the ground. But they said, as they sat there in their tent, at first they thought it was interesting, and then later on, as the water rose, the water began to bump up against the bottom of the tent, and they had no way of getting away. And the, so the, the water is now, it's five feet deep, and it's rising. And the girls are clinging to the poles, and they're praying and asking God to help them. They work with a group of people called Massey. The, the Massey young men are called Massey Warriors, all of them. They go through a, a kind of a ritual of, of strength and, uh, and sacrifice and endurance. And they carry spears, and they provide for the rest of the tribe. And, and they're, they're to be brave. They're called Massey Warriors, all the young men. They said, in the middle of the night, here come 9 o'clock at night, it's dark, and they're clinging to these posts, and here come two Massy warriors with spears. And they say, we're, gonna, we're here to help you. And they said, no, no, we're fine. They're like, you're not fine. You need us. And they're like, they, the, the girl, Dylan said, we refused their help over and over again. I wanted to text back and say, why did you do that? We refused their help over and over again. And then finally they insisted, and they carried us out on their back. So God loves us. And there is a flood of judgment that's coming. And you know it, and I know it. We feel it in our soul. And he offers his pure, undefiled, enduring father love to you. But for those who refuse it, who refuse the love of God, they will experience his flood of judgment and his wrath. And even as, as believers, in, in, our, in our own lives, he comes along with his offers of love like every day. He says, this is the way marriage is supposed to work. You don't, you don't change that because it's not good when you change it, right? He says, these are things that are honest and these things are dishonest. Don't do dishonest things because that's not the way it works. You trust me because I'm loving. And, and, and if you will go away with these passages and others in your heart about the steadfast love of the Lord, then I believe that it will contribute to your own holiness, it contribute to your own sense of joy in the Lord and, and your own spiritual health and vitality, just simply to think about the love of God. And this brings us to this. Uh, I'm remembering a little boy that was at camp a couple weeks ago from West Michigan. He came to talk to me and after chapel and to ask me about things that I had said. I asked him if he went to church. He said, no. He said, I go to Awana. My, uh, my mom committed suicide, and my dad is bipolar, and he's angry a lot. The people at the church picked me up for Awana, and they uh, they paid my way to camp. They were playing a game late in the week. They eat supper, then they play this crazy, like, capture the flag game out through the woods. They thunder out through the woods, try to catch each other. On the way home, Hope said, this little boy, Zachary, caught her out in the woods. Way out in the woods, he got her flag, and then they walked in together. Dad, she said, while we were walking, he said, isn't this one of the most wonderful places you've ever been? People are so loving here. They're so nice to you. And I thought, I want Zachary to know God by heart. I want to know God by heart. I want you to know God by heart. Because you see, there there was a man. His name was Jesus. He never had a beginning, he'll never have an end. He's very God, a very God. A few times he walked the earth before he was born in a Christophany, in a theophany, in a pre incarnate appearance. His birth was predicted hundreds of years before he was born. His death and the details of his death were predicted hundreds of years before he was born. The very village where he would be born was predicted hundreds of years before he was born. He was born into a peasant family, but his name is on the lips of people all around the world today. He grew up and he began to teach. He never sinned, he never disobeyed his parents, he never lied, he never took what wasn't his, he never looked at a woman lustfully, he never ate one fork full of food more than would be appropriate for him to eat. He never was drunk. His teaching was amazing. People hung on his words. He had authority unlike anyone else. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He helped lame people walk. He washed his disciples' feet. He died on the cross and laid down his life. He was buried and rose again. He appeared to hundreds after that, and then he ascended to heaven. He prays in heaven for us today. And someday he's coming back like the king, and he will be the king, and he'll rule over all the earth, and every one will bow to Jesus Christ. And today he offers you and I his love. Why would you refuse the love of Jesus Christ?